Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. everybody welcome to another episode of the buffalo bead my name is joe biscali thank you all for joining me as we are about to get into draft month it is the time when all of the angling of the offseason really intensifies it is a four-week stretch that just blows right by really and being able to see maybe where the bills might be leaning slash how to decipher certain bits of information that are coming out, what's important, what's not, based on what's said over there and the actions that are over there. It's it's definitely, for those that love puzzles and figuring out puzzles, it's one of the absolute best times of the year on the football calendar. And, and some of you might know that the draft is kind of where I cut my teeth in, in the business. Back when I used to work in sports radio, I was the... I was a draft guy by trade, and uh, and yeah, still those old habits die hard because I'm still right in it just as much as I ever was, and um, being able to go through and and see a lot of these guys, but looking at them from a perspective of what the Bills usually go for, and how they have scouted these individual positions and the types. The archetypes of players that uh, that they have brought in over the last several years, I think it kind of gives you a little little bit of uh, a closer idea as to what they might be looking for in the draft. So we'll get into players per se uh, in future episodes, and I, I know. Uh, as the draft gets gets near here, we're going to be uh, ramping up the episodes here. So you'll be getting one once a week. We usually only do one every couple of weeks here on the show uh, in the off season. But for draft month, it's an entirely different animal. And uh, and yeah, so draft draft just dictates that. Uh, we need to go with the latest and everything along those lines, but. I wanted to kind of just take a brief um, zoom out and maybe interpret some of the the latest things that they've done and where this leaves their overall draft needs. Now, right now over at uh, theathletic.com, you can find the recalibrated draft needs that uh, that I put together. And I put a total of seven of them. Uh, on there, but I don't necessarily think that all of them are created equal. And there's also an omission or two that some people are, are like, "Wait, why? Why isn't that on there?" So I wanted to to go through a lot of that based on you know how things have looked and sounded over the last couple of weeks here. Um, and I think the only place to start with that is one of the most popular positions that have that has really kind of been the undercurrent for a lot of fans out there about what they believe the Bills need to do. And I do wonder if there's a legitimate divide based on what the fans feel needs to happen and what the Bills feel feels needs to happen. And that, of course, is that offensive line. And I can't tell you how many people... Are, are like, listen, they need better pieces on the offensive line. They need to protect Josh Allen and, and all of these different things. And I don't necessarily disagree with those sentiments. I mean, you look at where they kind of went astray last season and 
there were quite a few times where Josh Allen, before he even got through all his progressions, was already in scramble mode. And a lot of that had to do with Roger Saffold at left guard. But, you know, Spencer Brown at right tackle, the depth, I think, really struggled last season. And it was probably the worst offensive line depth that they've had since the really bad year in 2018. Like the year before Mitch Morse showed up. Um, like I remember that offensive line just being all worlds <laughs> uh, bad to where they needed something. Uh, not only starters, but they needed depth, and they did a nice job addressing that. But last year, they kind of went a little bit different with it. They they went with a lot of retread, uh, veteran, journeyman type, like Greg Van Roten, David Quesenberry, um, Bobby Hart. These were their primary backups, and predictably, it did not go necessarily well. So fast forwarding, fast forwarding that into 2023, the Bills have definitely been along the, the same line of thinking that the offensive line in totality needs to be better. And they already went out to improve their left guard position by signing Connor McGovern. And since we last uh, spoke here on the podcast, I w- actually got a chance to go and watch a ton of Connor McGovern's stuff from 2022 when he started at left guard. And I came away thinking that the Bills got themselves a really nice pass-blocking left guard. And I know some were wondering, hey, why not put him at right guard? Because that was his more natural position and then move Ryan Bates to the left side. I think based on how McGovern kind of settled in at left guard throughout uh, the 2022 seasons, particularly later on, it really looked like he was hitting his stride as a pass blocker. Now, run blocking, there's there's quite a bit to be desired because I, he's just not a people mover or anything like that. But, you know, the Bills are primarily a passing offense. And getting a good pass blocker, or at least an above average pass blocker, is a night and day improvement from what they had at left guard last year with Roger Saffold, who for me was one of the worst starters on the team in 2022. So that's already been an upgrade. And they've they've uh, really tried to add to their depth. And they did that along the interior with bringing back uh, Ike Butker. But the difference between last year's Ike Butker and this year Ike Butker is that he's no longer rehabbing from a uh, ruptured Achilles injury and he'll now be over a full year removed from that and certainly him getting back onto the active roster by December last year really bodes well for for his ability to be a uh, a trusted backup but that they didn't stop there they went and added uh, David Edwards as their as another interior piece to compete to be the primary backups. I would guess that those are the five right there between Bates, McGovern, Morse, Edwards, and Butker. I think they provide some versatility. There's a there's three guys in there that can play center with Morse, McGovern, and Bates, and uh, and that's how they kind of went about it. The move that they made that you know wasn't particularly inspiring was they brought back David Quesenberry, but that might just be a pause unless he uh, unless they they don't really find anything they like in the draft to to really improve their depth behind the starters. But that brings us to like the the bigger point, like okay, how are they going to? approach the offensive line in the draft because one still even though the what we talked about with what Brandon Bean said a couple of weeks ago about Spencer Brown and how he really just came out and uh it was a forceful defense for Spencer Brown even taking that in people are still like they need to improve right tackle they need to improve right tackle and I think this is where the potential divide maybe even a big divide exists between what the fan base wants and what the bills believe they need to do in this year's draft i don't know that they feel that right tackle 
is a, as pressing a top two round need as a lot of people out there. They really, and just to remind everyone what Brandon Bean said in his, the way that I termed it, forceful defense of, of Spencer Brown. He has pointed out numerous times about how Spencer Brown had the offseason back procedure last year, which slowed his timeline of being able to get into reps. He start, He did not really start taking a bunch of reps in training camp. These were all what, what Bean talked about. This is not me. This is what all this is what he was basically surmising here. And they weren't even sure if Spencer Brown would be able to play in week one, and Brown kind of got himself there. And it was kind of a, a slow ramp back up during the season, but that they really liked what he did over the final month or two months. And then being by the end of the, uh, the overall summary of Spencer Brown's year, said, I think that Spencer's going to be able to solidify that, that level of play for us in the future. And that's, a, that's a loaded statement. So as much as you might want to see an improvement at right tackle, I think the bigger picture way of going about it in this offseason is to improve the depth behind him. Because they need a better solution other than David Quesenberry or Tommy Doyle. And Tommy Doyle is still coming back from a torn ACL that he suffered early in the season last year. So he's no guarantee to be able to hit the ground running at training camp and at the start of the regular season. So that's why I think like when you get to those that middle round area, maybe even early day three, I think that's the spot, the sweet spot for where offensive tackle comes kind of kind of comes into play, excuse me. Maybe I'm misreading and maybe I'm putting too much weight into what Brandon Bean said, but in my experience with listening to him over the years and how it's translated to their actions, he usually does not go out of his way to have this, again, the term I'm using is a forceful defense for a player unless he truly believes in that player and wants to give that player the benefit of the doubt in the form of another chance in the upcoming season. Is it the right call? That's up for debate completely. But if you had to ask me right now, I think the Bills are probably going to sidestep the offensive tackle position in the first two, maybe three rounds. Focus on Spencer Brown as their starting right tackle. Address the depth at some point in the draft. And then see what they have. And if it's a problem again, then they address it next offseason. But in their minds, I think they feel like they've got four of their five solidified. From Deion Dawkins to, to Connor McGovern to Mitch Morse and Ryan Bates, who Ryan Bates had a, a really nice um, last couple of seasons, in my opinion. Spencer Brown is kind of the unknown here, but the potential and his movement skills and his size, I think for Brandon Bean, he wouldn't be able to... I don't think he wants to give up on that too too prematurely. It's more of a... I think there might also be some residual from the Cody Ford thing, maybe, where they drafted him to be the right tackle, and then then they started switching him all over, and then um, he just never really clicked for him. Maybe there's residual from the Wyatt Teller thing, where they had this guy that had a lot of potential and wasn't really getting it early on, and they pushed the eject button too quickly on it. 
because they weren't sure if he was going to make the team that year. And so maybe all of this is weighing in in Bean's mind and the overall sentiment that maybe it just takes a little bit longer for offensive tackles and offensive linemen in general to get to that that spot where they're a dependable every week starter. So I think all that plays into it. This is a broader point of, so when the draft comes, I'm not sure that an offensive lineman is going to be picked within the first three rounds. I just, I see see a lot of logic pointing against it based on the information that, that we have right now and some of the words that were used and the actions that they used. So I know that's probably not going to be super popular, but at the same time, we have to try and figure out what this team is going to do. And um, it it just doesn't seem like... There's always like this one position that usually has this divide that we're talking about. And I think this year, offensive line is it. And I still see see some mock drafts out there have guard... uh, at pegged in or written in at number 27 and I just don't see it that I think they feel quite content on the interior offensive line right now and that means they they really like Mitch Morse obviously he was their best offensive lineman last year signed through 2024 he's not going anywhere Ryan Bates Connor McGovern now both signed through 2025 they can get out from those contracts, but I think they believe in the potential of the offensive line with both those guys there. And the fact that both of them can play center really takes away the need for them to try and find someone early on in the draft to be Mitch Morse's eventual replacement. And this is something that I've been kind of yelling for for the last few years only because Mitch Morse's contract status plus the the state of their guards over the last several years just it never really has been in a spot where it seems like they're good for that season and they've got some potential down the line and at the very least you could make the argument that one of McGovern or Bates gets moved inside to center uh, when Morse is done in Buffalo or when he decides to retire. So that's why I've kind of backed off that. And if you notice on that, um, the recalibrated draft needs column that I wrote over at The Athletic, interior offensive line isn't even one of the top seven for me anymore. Offensive tackle is in there, but it's down the list a bit. So if not offensive line, where is this thing going? I think is the the bigger question. And really, I think it comes down to four positions. And not all of them have like an obvious need. And this is this is kind of the the way that Brandon Bean and the Bills have played it recently, where the last really last year almost all of their needs, you can say, oh, well, they could get by with what they have right now. They that that could that could work. Maybe outside of one last year cornerback, just because of Tredavious White's injury. But even still, there was at this point last year some thought and some hope from the team that Trey White would be able to begin the season as the starter. Now that didn't happen, obviously. But the rest of the positions last year, it's like, oh, well, they've they've backfilled with some one-year deals and they, it looks like they're in a good spot to where it enhances their overall flexibility on draft day in the first round, on day two. And that's why we saw them kind of go a little all over the place in those first few rounds. But 
fast forwarding that to what they've got going on this year, I think it comes down to four positions that you can make a legitimate case for in the first round. With maybe a fifth if a certain player is there. I'll just get to that maybe a fifth, and it's not going to be what you want to hear, but if Bijan Robinson is there at 27, the Bills should think long and hard about whether or not to, to take him there because that guy is, he is legit and could make them as unpredictable an offense as Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have ever hoped and dreamed for because he's got some star potential at the running back position. Even though he's a running back, I get it, but he's the one where it's kind of the exception to the rule. If he's not on the board, which I don't think he will be, then I think you can kind of look elsewhere. Outside, like, like I don't, I just don't, I just can't see them using a, a first round pick on like Zach Charbonnet or um, Jameer Gibbs. A little too much duplication between Jameer Gibbs and James Cook, at least to me. But yeah, I think, I think that's where it kind of starts and ends at running back in the first round. Day two, different story. Day one, Bijan Robinson or nothing, at least to me. So then what are the four positions here? And one is going to be obvious. Wide receiver uh, is obviously on this list. Safety is on this list just because of the age, the ages of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Linebacker is probably the most obvious just because what they have on the roster. And then I'll throw defensive tackle in there. Those are the, the core four that I think, all right, if they're, if you had to narrow it down, the Bills pick at 27 is going to be one of those four positions. I mean, I guess you can say, hey, Brandon Bean loves taking edge rushers. You never know. But after the investment in Von Miller last year and Greg Russo and Boogie Basham two years ago and A.J. Vanessa three years ago, I don't know. I just feel like we're maybe a year away from another legitimate pass rusher being added to the to the program here. So let's begin with safety and defensive tackle because I feel like both of those kind of uh, fall under the same distinction here. Both positions the Bills have added to within the offseason. With safety, obviously they brought back Jordan Poyer. He's going to be their starter along with Micah Hyde. And they're going to hope that these two guys can pick right back up where they were in from 2017 through 2021. And they also improved their depth by bringing Taylor Rapp in on a one-year deal. He hasn't signed it yet as of the time of recording this, which is Friday, March 31st, around 1.20 p.m. But... It's almost as though it's an, an inevitability. And Taylor Rapp will be their locked-in primary backup behind both of those guys. And they saw flat out that going through a season with unknown players at the safety position can come back to bite them. And I think they got a little comfortable with how lucky they were from an injury perspective at safety from 2017 through 2021 and only missing only, you know, missing one of Poyer or Hyde four games total over that that uh, five year span, which is ridiculous because of how how much safeties use their body to tackle and you know, just these freak things that can happen. That's it. That's all the time they missed. And they got a little comfortable. But that uh, really came back to bite them last year. Their depth was not good. And it's, uh, they suffered by having a lot of uh, things happen to them deep down the field that 
had not happened to, to them in previous seasons with those two guys. So they didn't invest, but they kind of played it cool with Taylor Rapp and saw how the market formed. Rapp didn't find a starting job. So he comes to a, uh, a very safety-friendly system in Buffalo with the potential that maybe he could uh, be a long-term fit. But it's a one-year prove-it deal. And if he gets on the field and, and shows out, then he might end up going elsewhere for a lot more than the Bills would be able to pay him. But even though they have Taylor Rapp and Poyer and Hyde, there still exists a spot for a player that can be a long-term, a locked-in long-term option for them at that position because it is quite important to them. And we saw what it was like without a, uh, an, at least an above-average safety out there. There's a big drop-off. So that's why I can't completely rule out safety at 27. I think it's probably closer to a a round two, round three, maybe round four need. But it's one that I believe that they need to add at some point just to get it going. And look, if, if the board falls a certain way to where they can't swing it and it just doesn't make sense then I think they left themselves an out with Christian Benford. Because if you noticed from when Sean McDermott spoke at the Combine to when he spoke at the the league meetings in Arizona, it went from Christian Benford's going to be at cornerback for us. But then they brought back Dane Jackson. They brought back Cam Lewis. They've got legitimate depth there. Obviously, Kair Elam is probably going to be the starter. By the time the league meetings came around, he told reporters, Bill's reporters, that, you know, we'll see how it shakes out once the offseason stuff is done. Which I think is code for, if they get a safety, Benford's staying at corner. But if they don't get a safety, then Benford might be their ace in the hole. To move there and to develop for to be potentially become a long-term player at that position for them. But if I had to guess, I think they want to invest in a safety at some point. First round might be too rich just because, like, you know, I don't know that there's necessarily a player there that they would want to invest in at number 27 at safety. It's not necessarily a glaring need for 2023. But finding a guy in the second, third, fourth, maybe fifth round to learn behind two guys who have mastered the scheme, I think that's something that they would want to start the clock on, especially because Hyde is only signed for one more season. So... Figuring out and and finding that that way to kind of bridge towards the future is is important. Same thing kind of goes at defensive tackle too. And the Bills have brought well, obviously they had Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, and Tim Settle all under contract. They have brought back Jordan Phillips for another one year deal, which also hasn't been signed yet, but it's going to happen. So the normal way of going about it is okay they normally dress four guys at defensive tackle on game day four guys at defensive end on game day and then they usually have a fifth defensive lineman maybe not active on game day but on the 53-man roster one year I think they had 10 maybe 11 yeah that was a lot but Nine is usually the sweet spot for them, which goes to show that there is a space available for a young defensive tackle to come in here. 
And I don't necessarily know that that player would, would walk in and just be a healthy scratch every week. I, I favor defensive tackle more than defensive end for this just because they have so much more lineup at the position past 2023 that, you know, investing in another pass rusher if when you don't really need it and you don't really have a potential starting role for that player within the next couple of seasons doesn't make all that much sense to me. But defensive tackle is, I mean, that need is there. Ed Oliver's a free agent after the year. Daquan Jones is a free agent after the year. Tim Settle's a free agent after the year. Jordan Phillips is a free agent after the year. They have nothing on the books at defensive tackle past 2023. Nothing. Is it the sneakiest potential first-round pick that they have? Yes, I think it is. Well, everyone's talking about offensive line and putting an offensive tackle on there. Defensive tackle might be that one position where it meets positional need, what they value, a guy that's that's worth it at number 27. Like that's that's the sneaky one. They do I think they do want to um, keep Ed Oliver for the long term. But let's say they they draft a guy in the first round or the second round. What do they do with him? Like uh, who who sits in that for instance? Well, they could dress 9 obviously on game days, which they have done before. But if they only go with 8 then I would not be surprised if it's Tim Settle who is a healthy scratch in those situations because he was average last year, like sometimes below average, wasn't really a difference maker, minimal snaps to just a rotational guy. And I think they can improve upon that with with another piece. So which of the two defensive tackle positions? I probably favor the one technique just because I think they do want to get something worked out with Ed Oliver for the long term. And they've kind of hinted towards that in some of the things that they've said throughout the offseason, the last two offseasons, really. Plus, Daquan Jones is up there in age. Let's see. He's at least 32. Just typing it in real quick. He's going to turn 32 in December. Which means how much do you want to invest past this season for someone that's going to be 32, 33 years old in 2024? Maybe you you get him back on a one year after the year, but still, if you can find like a a good player at one technique defensive tackle that can start for you and that can also be a little bit more versatile than like a Star Latulale was. Daquan Jones is the perfect blend of it because he's a really good run defender and he also gives you a lot more as a as a pass rusher than you would think for someone playing at that position. And Tim Settle is also his primary backup. Jordan Phillips mostly plays more three technique. So it would be Oliver and Jordan Phillips on that side of the coin. But Tim Settle is the one that I think is susceptible here to losing some games as a healthy scratch. So, you know, guys like Maisie Smith from Michigan, Siaki Siaki Ika from Baylor, big-bodied defensive tackles. And there's others out there, but those are... um, those are just two that that kind of spring to mind that I know would be good one techniques. Keanu Benton, another one from Wisconsin. Like he's first, second, third round range. And the Bills can benefit from that for the long term. So safety and defensive tackle kind of in the same bucket. Good for 2023, but they need they need something. Just need a little bit more in the form of a long-term investment. And then that brings up the obvious too, which I think everyone upon everyone is talking about for the Bills. Wide receiver being one of them, linebacker being the other. 
wide receiver, even though they have already refreshed so much. Like you, you look at the the guys who have moved on or that they've moved on from, and how many that they've brought in. It's like wow, it's they're really going for it in terms of restructuring that wide receiver room. They've kept Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis intact, or Gabe Davis, I should say. But Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Jake Kumro, Jamison Crowder. That's five names gone. They bring in Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield, which are two guys that are going to compete for time on the field. And Hardy will have a role of some magnitude. But I don't think he's like an every snap guy. And Khalil Shakir flashed here and there, but for the amount of snaps that he got last year, wasn't really targeted all that often and may not be a huge difference maker at the position. And maybe it's just a case of like too much too soon for him. Or maybe they believe his, uh, his ultimate landing spot is as a... Uh, you know, uh, more in line of what Isaiah McKenzie gave them last year in terms of how many snaps he got around the 40 to 50% range rather than a, a locked-in, every-down player. The Bills really don't have that behind Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs, which is why wide receiver should be right there in the conversation for their first-round pick. And it's not the greatest year for top-end talent at receiver, but there's some dudes. And we'll get into some of these receiver names because I just did a a very, uh, well, not a very long, but like a a pretty in-depth breakdown of how each of these guys fit the bills. And you can find that over at uh, The Athletic. Just posted that on Friday morning. But there are some, some guys that should be of real substance to them that would be available in the first round. Potentially available, I should say. That can fill the role of playing on on both the boundary and on the inside because Gabe Davis obviously has uh, is is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And what exactly is his value? Is he going to be someone they want to invest in moving forward? Remains to be seen. And how much would it take to do it? Now, I will say that they wanted to do it. The wide receiver market this year was not that wild. But they also have Stefan Diggs signed to a pretty large contract. Um, And... Next year, his cap hit because they uh, they pushed it forward this year. His cap hit next year is going to be twenty seven point eight five million dollars for Stefan Diggs, which, as you know, is a lot. And do they necessarily want to invest that much in, I'll say, an above-average receiver? I guess a lot depends on how Gabe Davis looks this season, but they can't necessarily know that that jump is going to be there, especially when the potential of paying him is off in the distance. If it happens... I'm sure they'll love to have the problem because at that point then they'll have Gabe Davis, they'll have Stefan Diggs, but they'll have a a long-term rookie. They'll have the receiver room figured out for next year, for 2023 and 2024. And then they just can kind of go about it one year at a time, especially since Diggs will be getting older at that point. But the point is, you can't you can find a role even if you take one and you re-sign Gabe Davis. You still need an every down slot receiver. You still need 
Um, someone that can capably back up both Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. And you're not going to lose a ton. And you and even adding someone that gives you gives your offense something that you don't have. There are guys like that in this draft. So that's why, to me, wide receiver, even though they brought in Deontay Hardy, even though they brought in Trent Sherfield, which, by the way, Sherfield was just a one-year deal. So they're not going to neglect wide receiver just because they brought in him. This is a position that is still ripe for a legitimate investment in the 2023 NFL Draft, possibly as early as the first round. So those who have been clamoring for receiver this entire offseason, I don't think this is the end of the road for you. Just like, uh, well, not like it is with maybe wanting an offensive tackle. I think there's a logic is clearly pointing at receiver being something they could target and offensive tackle is, you know, not really there at the same token. At least not to me. Like I said, could be wrong. You never want to read too much into things around around draft time. But, you know, in my experience, listening and watching Brandon Bean operate, like, just kind of looks like and, and sounds like that wide receiver is a lot more likely than offensive tackle. And then lastly, linebacker, which the way I've been putting it the last couple of weeks is linebacker to me feels as light as the cornerback position did last year. Now, granted, the Bills did use a third-round pick on Terrell Bernard last year, but that being taken into account, there just wasn't enough to make you believe that they're going to neglect it. And even though they've said all these things about, you know, Balen Specter, Terrell Bernard, and Tyrell Dodson competing for that job, they haven't added a single person to the roster that will legitimately compete for, for linebacker snaps. I mean, they brought back Dodson. He's more of a special teams guy. They brought back Tyler Matakevich. He's more of a special teams guy. Balen Specter, special teams guy. All they have right now is Milano and Terrell Bernard. And if I had to guess, they're probably looking at Terrell Bernard as more of a third linebacker as opposed to someone who's going to take over that middle linebacker job. And we've seen what happens when Tyrell Dotson is on the field. He's now many years into the defensive scheme. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I would not be optimistic over Tyrell Dodson finally becoming this locked-in asset at middle linebacker. He struggles in coverage, he struggles against play action, and a majority of teams runs play action. Keep him where he's good, which is special teams, being a depth guy when you need him. But every week starter... I'm not optimistic about that. Terrell Bernard is a slightly different case, but he's still a bit undersized for what they're probably looking for at middle linebacker. Likely best suited to the outside backer position. think he'd be at his best as their third linebacker against base defense. But if you're going into the year with Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano as your starting linebackers, you better be prepared for some struggles over the middle of the field based on what we saw in short examples of him as a rookie. Not writing him off by any means. He could build himself up here. And they're going to need that depth. But it just feels like this is a position 
where the Bills need to invest in the draft. They need to do it in the first few rounds. And that player, maybe even the first two rounds, and that player will come in and have a very good chance of being their starter in 2023. It just doesn't strike me as the position they're just going to kind of half-ass in a year that they're looking to get get to the Super Bowl. Like, in a year where maybe they were about to take a legitimate step down and they wanted to see what they had, maybe. I think the stakes are too high. And adding another piece. And if Bernard earns it over first-round rookie like Dane Jackson did over Kair Elam last year, then by all means. But I don't know that they want to or they can go into this season with Bernard or Dodson being that guy for them. Just just straight away, no doubt, This is these, one of these two guys is going to be the starter. And should they strike out at linebacker in the draft? I believe it's one of those positions where they could wait until after the draft, see who gets cut, and bring in a veteran player to be that starting middle linebacker. Because at that point in time, they still have some cap space, mind you. They still have around, let's see, according to the over the cap, they still have around $8 million in cap space. So... There is room for another move. And Brandon Bean, down at the league meetings, told reporters that all of their signings that they're making right now are cognizant of the fact that they are likely going to receive a third-round compensatory pick for Tremaine Edmonds, which means they will fall under the $3 million and below distinction. If you haven't yet, go to overthecap.com, look at their compensatory... A cancellation chart for this year gives you a good idea of who qualifies, who doesn't. And the Bills lucked out that Devin Singletary's contract is going to qualify because that means they're probably going to get a third-round pick for Edmonds. So they're not going to jeopardize that. But that deadline ends a few days after the draft or qualifying free agents. Right in early May, that now becomes time where the players that they sign no longer account towards the compensatory formula. So could that be what they're waiting for? Sure, it could be. But it's also giving themselves time in the draft to maybe take one. And be able to make an informed decision that way. One way or the other, this linebacker room is not settled. There there should be something significant added, whether it's through the first two rounds or someone that gets cut by their team, cap casualty style. Or maybe someone that, some team that finds a middle linebacker and sees that, you know, maybe the guy that they have in-house already would be better served elsewhere. I mean, that's the situation. But the Bills are leaving that door open for themselves, as they should. Because you can't, like, it's going to be a huge drop-off from Tremaine Edmonds to, to one of the two guys that they have potentially positioned to take over the job right now. I can't stress that enough. In coverage especially. It is going to be a huge drop-off. Which is why it's so such a big need. So those are the four to me. Defensive tackle, safety, wide receiver, linebacker. You could talk me in to pass rusher, obviously, because it's Brandon Bean, and who the hell knows with pass rushers, he loves him. You could talk me into tight end, maybe, but... I'm skeptical just because they invested such a big contract in 
in uh, Dawson Knox. And I think the depth of this tight end class probably means that they can get one that they really like later on, just like they did with Gabe Davis in the year that it was really wide receiver heavy that he was a rookie. And they got him in the fourth round. And certainly, if B. John Robinson is there, then running back is in the picture. But outside of those extraneous things, the core four, safety, defensive tackle, wide receiver, linebacker. So over the next few weeks, we'll go over these positions, some names to know. I'll take some listener questions, everything like that, because I'm sure uh, everyone kind of has an idea about what could happen this this time of year. Just be, I mean, the draft is just fun. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the time of year where every single organization and every single fan of that organization has a feeling of optimism that they're about to get better and that they're about to land someone that could alter their franchise. That's what makes the draft great. But it's also the figuring things out and piecing things together and trying to go through the smoke screens and everything like that. And I will say, not everything is a smoke screen. But the closer you get to the draft, it's probably looking that way. But that's also the time where more truth starts to come out too. So it's kind of a balancing act. It's just sticking to your keys and trying to figure out what makes sense and what doesn't. And you know things that might get thrown out from left field that are just like, whoa! Where did that come from? Which are usually the ones that are just uh, trying to get a message out there on purpose. All right. So that'll do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Uh, like I said, next week we're going to have another show. And we're going, well, let's, let's dive right into the wide receiver group uh, next week. Because I think that's one that really... Moves the needle for a lot of people. I think it's a legitimate option like I laid out. And I think there are a lot of interesting pieces in this draft. And while they might not have their pick of the litter at 27, they could wind up having the second or third choice at wide receiver by the time the, the draft order gets to them. So we'll we'll chat receiver next week and we'll, we'll go over some more of the angling and and other positions as as we kind of march forward in April as well. So, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia, and we will talk to you next week as draft month begins. See you then.